And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 73 of The Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby, here with Mark Reagan, Andy McCullough. Uh, Andy, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm kind of ill, but uh, soldiering through. I love The Roundtable heads and also the concept of a circular table, so we're here. Uh, what do you, COVID, uh, kidney stone, what'd you got? <laughs> Neither. I think just the common cold. I literally, uh, on the flight home from Arizona, I fell asleep at takeoff, right? And I woke up maybe like 45 minutes later and was like, oh, I'm sick. Like just immediately felt sick. It was like my brain had been holding my immune system at bay, being like, look, you just got to get through this. And as soon as I felt the release of like, okay, no more baseball, just collapse. Yeah, I've been mostly on the couch since last Thursday. Immune systems are amazing like that. Mark, how you doing? It's nice, right? Never leaving the couch. <laughs> Pretty good setup, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's actually it's actually great. I Mark, I'd really like to talk to you off air about future planning here. Look, listen, dude. If you're a mid-middle manager, this is the freaking time for you, boy. Like this is, you know, we're sitting on the couch, getting paid. <laughs> Craig Council, patron saint. Do you know how many manager of the year awards Craig Council has won? Three, four, five? Zero. Really? Now, what a try. So based on that, that logic, right? If I'm extrapolating this, the Angels should hire Buck for 160? <laughs> Five years 160? Okay. All right. All right. It's a little light, okay? But look, look, maybe he'll design the uniforms while he's there. Redesign the uniforms. And you know It is a fun thing to point out when you go to Chase Field why the benches are that way. Didn't you do that at City Field too? By the way, did you not write that? I well, he yeah, Buck did. Uh, he did change a. Well, this is the, again like I cannot believe we're doing this. You started it. This is the thing about Buck Showalter is he's incredibly detail oriented and he notices things. And one of the things that Louis Rojas had had a problem for several years is that he could not see his own bullpen because of an obstruction in the dugout. He literally couldn't see the bullpen the way it was, uh, you know, situated, I guess, based on his height. And Showalter had the same issue. And so he had a, um, a pedestal built 
for him so that he could see the bullpen, uh, you know, into center field uh, through where his dugout was. What do you gain by seeing the bullpen? Just out of curiosity, like just like who's up? I don't know. You just want to be able to see who's up, you know, like what's what's I don't just so you can see the game. He couldn't see the field. If there's any know? tomfoolery going on, maybe sure. Hijinks. A little bit of grab ass. A little, you know? yeah. Hot foot. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> grab ass. I love that term. <laughs> that gets me every time. Grab ass. This podcast really should be just called grab ass. It really is. It's not even a round. There's no round table, but there's this plenty is of grab the grab ass. ass and hot foot pods. The gr- it really grab is. ass and hot foot. Now I had a, a PE teacher who was constantly like, "Oh, enough of the grab ass." Like that's gonna make things better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's gonna stop the grab ass. Yeah, that right. just you hear grab ass and oh your my God. grab ass levels. Did we go all the have that PE teacher in the '80s, man? Like, did we all have that same? Was that Mr. Rowe at Crestman? Did you have him too? <laughs> so you brought up middle managers, and that's because you're, we're talking Craig Council, baby. We're talking manager of the year, four times, six-time world champion, Craig Council. <laughs> um, getting a very, very large contract uh, by manager standards uh, to manage the Cubs, which no one really saw coming. It's fascinating. Dude, it is fascinating, actually. All, all grab ass aside, I, I think what we just witnessed is one of those moments where it changed everything that's going to follow it. And now, is that good? I think it's good because I think there's long been a thought in the sport about, hey, what about the non-playing personnel? Like, they're, they're really important. Now, there's been also an open debate on how important. And I think this is what one of those things in baseball that, like many things in baseball, the lack of nuance in the subject kind of ruins the conversation. But like, okay, for all these years, we have been framing the manager as this victim of, oh, they're just middle managers. They're just pawns for the front office. We can go down the list, right? And it's all nonsense. And it's nonsense because there's a difference between being a pawn for the front office or just not having absolute power anymore. And I think there was a time in the sport where that person, whoever was in the manager's chair, was effectively the absolute authority on so many things that happened. Obviously, that is not quite the same, but that is really far away from pun for the front office. And I think maybe this is something that shows us that there is actual value placed on some of these soft skills. Now, some of this is also... Again, as you guys like to point out, this is the only pro-labor baseball podcast out there. You know, Craig Council came into this wanting to make a point, wanting to set a new precedent, and he did that. It's consistent with what he did as a player, actually. I think he'd been super involved in the union. So, yeah, I think there's so much going on here, and the center of it is this is a very paternalistic sport still, and maybe this is a step away from that. The next time I ask for a raise, Mark, just know that I'm not doing it for me. <laughs> it's not for me. No, it's for the guys who are coming after me. Okay? It's for Sam Blum. It's for Cody Stavenhagen. It's for Dennis Lynn. It's I'm blazing a path, okay, for all of them. Please give me more money. And also someone else's job. Craig Council can do whatever he wants and like, you know, he was a he was a big, you know, obviously we are so pro labor here. We love labor, we just don't like working. He had every right to conduct himself in this way. So like we're I'm not I'm just I just find it very funny that you can frame uh, asking for as much money as possible as raising the bar for your uh, peers. 
Well, sure you can. Sure you can. Now, now, at the same time, David Ross is pulling a knife out of his back as we speak. So, I mean, so that's there's the a aspect, price to pay for all that of That is it, the right? aspect that I find most interesting because for years and years, right, there's only 30 of these jobs. But the only ones that are available are the ones that are available. And there was, you know, an idea that, you know, you don't pursue the job of one of your managerial brethren. Now, like whether that's a uh, – that's kind of a – Good thing for Monopoly to have in place, you could say, if they were looking to maybe control the, you know, the salaries. That's probably uh, something that the monopolists happen to like a lot. Um, but also there's a, you know, it makes some sense, right? You don't want to be perceived as gunning for, you know, one of your colleagues' positions or whatever. And so I do wonder if like moving forward, this becomes open season. You know, if you're an agent who represents a manager, um, especially a manager, you know, who had played in the majors and probably retains the representation that he had from his, you know, big league days. Like if all of a sudden you start looking like, Hey, that team's pretty good. Like, why don't you reach out to their GM and see if they're, you know, happy with, I don't know if that's like, I find this so fascinating. I find this so interesting. A couple things off the top. I think Craig Council is one of the best managers in baseball. Right. He's also won nothing, but he's one of the best men. I, I like if I was starting a team tomorrow, he'd be one of the guys that I would bring in to talk for sure for that job. So it's not like a it's not a criticism of his skills or anything. It's it's more like I just think it's really interesting that the Cubs felt like this was the way forward uh, and that they were willing to sort of risk, you know, going behind. David Ross is back now. Like, is David like he's a grown up, right? He get you get hired to get these jobs to get fired. I'm sort of rambling, but like, I just find that aspect of it to be so more interesting than if he had taken a mega deal with the Mets, right? Like, then it's like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. He wanted more money, good for him. This is like, so what comes next? You know, this wouldn't happen. But how funny would it be if Bruce Bochy was just like, hey, who wants me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Boach Tober, baby. Like who? Like if Boachy's just at the winter meetings, like who wants to hire Boach? I'd That'd be great. It. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to jump in here. I don't, Grant, if you had a point, but like I, I just wanted to note this really quickly. That I, I saw something yesterday I've never seen before, and all the time I watch this sport, they are announcing manager salaries, like their <laughs> yeah, player yeah, yeah. salaries. Like Carlos Mendoza agrees to, to take the Mets job. By the way, Carlos Mendoza highly respected coach within the Yankees like he's not the big name but look if you talk in baseball circles he's it is a big name like he's someone who's very highly respected but the point is Carlos Mendoza's salary was floating around there yesterday I'm like what the hell is this right it's one thing if it's council but Carlos Mendoza has to put a marker on the board <laughs> now so like we're already seeing the change is my point like Andy that's why I triggered that you're like what's gonna come next yo we've already seen it it's only been 24 hours you got coaches, manager salaries that are now like part of the public domain, and and there's a reason for that. If you're if you're gonna be, get into a mode where you're trying to negotiate, you gotta know what the other guys are making. You gotta know what 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 you're trying to clear, and so that's what the players do. And now we're gonna see this with the managers, which is really interesting. I don't have an answer for this, but all thirty managers are members of the union. They are. They are. They are. Yeah. Every team has a, the manager and at least one member of the coaching staff, I believe, is a, is considered a member of the union. Regardless of whether they play? Correct. Them. Yes. Okay. All right. And so I wonder... So Mike Schilt would be in the union, even though he never played a major league game. Correct. Right? Think, yes. Okay. Yes. I could be wrong about that. Please send all complaints to at Grant Brisby uh, on Twitter. But I'm almost positive that all 30 managers are members of the union. So I feel like their salaries should be made public... 
I don't know. Do you, can, you want me to find out? Because I can call Evan right now. He's just eating a $27 Eggs Benedict. And I can interrupt him real quick and like get an answer for us. Would you? I mean, I can do that. I'm a middle manager. I thought I you were discussing that. like uh, Evan's life in New York where he commutes into Barney Greengrass out of Woodside to have a $27 Eggs Benedict. But he's actually at the GM meeting. So, But I guess what I'm saying is that I believe the union should be able to distribute those salaries. I think. I don't know. I could. I'm just, you know, we're freestyling here, man. Who, who can say? Who can say? I always thought when it came to stuff like managers and uh, scouts in uh, front office uh, people, analysts, that there's so much money at stake in baseball. There's so much at stake. Uh, why aren't like the best scouts paid more than like $15 an hour? You know what I mean? Like the very, very, very best scouts. Why isn't one team uh, just saying, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, you make $500,000 now. You are king scout. And so that trickles up to the managers where it's, I, I'm surprised it took this long because if you want a manager, if you think that's the missing piece, yeah, you better, you better shell out some money. Well, I do think that teams pay well for super scouts. Oh, really? Okay. They call them special assistants. Oh, God. The Grant's point, though, the disparity is so wide because, like, if you're like an area scout, someone who's starting out, like, you got a full time gig, but like, you're not making anything. And then you've got, like, you just described, is typically the dude who's been scouting for, you know, 35, 40 years, has history with like the top decision maker. Hey, congrats, you're a special assistant. Right. And, and those folks might make some money. But like, I, I think it this to me, there's so, again, we keep saying the word fascinating. I am fascinated by this. There's so many ramifications, one of them being this reexamination of how do you compensate these non-player personnel? Because we can see in the sport they are vital it, in a lot of different ways. Like, you know, I, I think about the Toronto Blue Jays. One thing they do well, and you hear this from their players all the time, is that when you're looking at destinations, the Jays make you feel really special. They got concierges that are looking for houses for their guys. They're like taking care of all the little things. And it's like you got to find the right people to do that, obviously, because in that sort of face to face, like it matters. Right. Like so they've, they've invested in that regard. You know, I know there's a lot of teams that have programs in which you know, we see this Latin American players in particular, making sure that like they're getting educated because sometimes in the system, like they're not going to be able to finish school. And so they come to the teams and there are clubs where, hey, let's get them educated. Let's make sure they get their high school degree. And they, they devote time and resources to that uh, to make. And again, look, it's not totally altruistic. If they're going to become major leaguers, you got to give them a head start on adjusting to like what they're going to face there. Right. So we're seeing that we've have seen it for many, many years, but the pay scales there, there's a, there's a reason why they keep that stuff under wraps because baseball, like, and someone said this to me, I must've read this years ago and like it, it never left my brain. Baseball is this billion dollar industry, right? Like billions and billions of dollars that is still operated in some cases like a mom and pop shop. Okay, and this is one of those ways, all right? Like that you hold salaries down because you, you don't, and that means you don't want to be like transparent about it and all that stuff. Like it's you know, not that much different from what we've seen like with people who are working like outside of baseball. Like that stuff happens. We, I mean, we all remember the, the times when it was novel to be like, maybe, maybe we should feed our minor leaguers. Like, <laughs> right. Maybe, yeah, right. maybe nutrition is good for, I don't, hmm. You know, and like now it's, it's of course, of course. It's like that shouldn't have taken uh, some like uh, epiphany. Yeah. Well, the idea of like feeding, housing, educating, you know, basic human services that um, 
you know, some governments provide, uh, would like it. That was obvious, I think, to folks, however many years ago. And now it's become closer to de rigueur. Um, that's French, a country that does do those things. It's French but, for of, of the rigor. Of the, <laughs> yeah, from the rigor. Uh, I think he's right. Yeah. So I think what will be interesting, I, I've all, I always felt right. You can stretch a dollar. A dollar is way more impactful on the non-player side than it is on the player side, just because of the inflationary value of it, right? Because, like, think think about it this way: based on what Andrew Friedman's first contract with the Dodgers was believed to be, and let's say let's say he got a couple, let's say he got a three million dollar raise off that for his second contract. So his first contract was supposed to be for five thirty five. So let's say that uh, he got a raise, and this past year he made ten million dollars. We don't know what it is, but let's just say that's what it was. The Dodgers paid Noah Syndergaard thirteen million dollars this year. Who do we think was more valuable, right? Okay, so extrapolate that all the way down the chain to the guy who's making $125,000, who, you know, is helping coming up with their their pitch design program, who's involved in their, you know, in the in the minor league coordinator type stuff, right? What I wonder is if this has some sort of, uh, you know, rising tide lifts all boats thing for the entire flow of non-player personnel, or if it just means that star managers can get paid a little bit more. Because you're going to see teams say, you're not worth this. We're going to find out what teams actually, we're going to find see them place a dollar value on managers in a way that they haven't had to do in quite some time, not since, you know, the, the post Socha Madden years when the, the all the deals got rolled back when they're like, OK, we're paying too much for these guys. They're not worth it. But now, like I, I, you will see a, a better sense. Right. If all the top guys are shooting for top dollar, which we don't know is going to happen. Right. It's never happened before. You will have a better sense of how teams actually value this position. For a while now, there hasn't been a lot of ways to spend as much money as you want. They they put a cap on the draft. Uh, international free agency can't just blow that up anymore. You've got the luxury tax. You've got very, very few ways where you can just come in with double six shooters and go, yeehaw, I'm just going to throw money at something. Uh, this is one of them now. This is one of them. The, you've, they've gotten so good at limiting how owners can spend to save themselves from themselves that this is one of the, the final frontiers there. Isn't it interesting, though, that that Steve Cohen, you know, the the Long Island cowboy, the guy who's saying yeehaw, um, <laughs> didn't jump in that pool, didn't say like, all right, we'll give you five for 60. Like, clearly they have an internal and that I'm sure David Stearns had a big say in that as well, having worked closely with counsel, being aware of all his pluses and minuses and also have an evaluation of what he would like in a manager. But the guy who has the most money didn't throw the most money. Correct. In fact, he went against what he said at the jump, by the way. He once said in his first presser, I don't want someone learning on my dime. Right? Mm. Not his first presser, but it was later on. He was oh, talking about... interesting. You know, I don't want someone learning on my well, dime. I have theories on and that, so, anyway. What's your theory? Well, I don't... Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible that Joel Sherman of the New York Post has already written this, um, but it's something that came up in a conversation we were having during during the postseason, and so I would like to give Joel as much credit as I can for this idea because we both we both sort of came to it uh, concurrently. Uh, David Stearns has a lot of power with the New York Mets, 
currently. He was just brought in in a huge, you know, he's like the face of their baseball operations department. If you were in that, would you want someone with as much star power, even someone who you have a good working relationship with, who you trust? Do you want someone with as much juice as you in that spot? Or do you want someone who you can mold, who you can, you know, who you can have more of a top-down sort of positioning with like someone who's obviously eminently qualified. He was the bench coach of the freaking New York Yankees. Uh, you know, he's well, he's, you know, he's very well regarded for his ability to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, coordinate their spring training. You know, he's considered a, you know, sharp baseball mind, all that sort of stuff. But it's not, he's also not a star in the way that, you know, council is. And he's the Yankee, by the way, like the Yankee comp. Like we, we've talked about the same guy a few times on our podcast. It's Rob Thompson. Yeah. Like, that's what he is. It's the same kind of, the guy that, like, if he's not there, you will feel it. But when he is there, you don't notice because they're just busy doing all this crap, right? And that's invaluable for every organization. And, and certainly Mendy's been that guy. And so, you know, it's not surprising he got a crack at this. But, yeah, that's a great point from you guys about, you know, top down versus having another person with a big voice. And I think, you know, you can certainly advocate for both sides of that. But, you know, we, we certainly found out where David Stern stands on this and where Steve Cohen. Well, and that started with, with Showalter, right? Because like as much as Jesus, we've talked about Buck. You're the one that keeps bringing much, it up. But Buck is like an asset for an organization. 100% knows a ton about the game, has a ton of insight. It's a question of can you keep him within the guardrails of what you need to keep him in. And Stern's obviously decided no. It is interesting, all of this, this idea of a free-for-all, this idea of, of baseball. Look, Zach Mizell, who I was talking to earlier, this is one of the people that you know, Andy's raising the floor for. Okay, So Zach Mizell. David Perpich, um, give me money to help others. Yeah. That's right. He's doing it for, for the colleagues. Anyway, uh, Zach Mizell brings up a great point. He goes, hey, your Raiders are paying more money to head coaches who are no longer coaching for them than the Cubs are paying for, uh, <laughs> you know, Craig Council. And he's right. Like, dead money for, for like, John Gruden and, and McDaniels, right, it eclipses by far this big ground, you know, shaking deal that the Cubs have given to Craig Council. So maybe there's like a catch-up element to this. But I, I'll go back to the point I made to begin all of this. is like I am always, it's remarkable to me to get these reminders of how paternalistic baseball really is sometimes. Okay, and how there's a lot of change. The culture has changed and like things. That, yeah, there's so many things about the sport that just aren't the same as they used to be. But this like strand of DNA at the core of it, the paternalistic attitude of the sport, alive and well. It gets back to the, the thing we were talking about earlier, right? Like you're not supposed to go after someone else's job or it's considered uncouth or whatever. Bad form. Bad form. Who benefits from that? Of course, management. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. 
Mm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Like everything in the sport is just something that like Gussie Bush thought up, you know, seventy five right. years ago. Yeah, that's that's a no no. Kind of rules, and, and then and people follow it, and like they've done it for decades, and like and and what's crazy about that is that like now look at this, look at this. Some of the reaction I've heard is sort of going against that idea, and now like you've got people where they talk about we're on the same side, like they're literally members of the same union, and and but this doesn't. You know what I mean? Like I said, like David Ross is somewhere extracting a sharp object from between his shoulder blades right now. At least that's what I'm sure he's feeling, he's which I mean, limping who through can dancing blame with him? The stars. Oh, man. <laughs> he's going to be limping through dancing with the stars. Wait, he's doing that no, this year? No, he was expecting oh. to manage the Cubs this year, you jackass. He hasn't oh, had time. I'm sorry. There's a lot he going on. He was under contract to manage the Cubs. How about the Cubs putting out a press release? It's like, we love David Ross. He was the man. He was so good for us. Also, we fired him. Craig Council's our new manager. So good. I mean, Rick Renteria is somewhere going, yep. Rick's like, seen that twice. When it comes to the unwritten rules, I just want to like lay my cards on the table. If management comes to me and says, we will pay you two, three times as much uh, to do what Andy does, and unfortunately, we're going to have to let Andy go, I am taking that offer. Like... There is no unwritten rule where I'm just like, oh, man, but, you know, Andy's my bro. No, I'm sorry. I'm doing it. I will say this. When the Los Angeles Times approached me about covering the Dodgers, they said, would you be interested in covering the Dodgers? I said, oh, no. Did Dylan get laid off? (laughs) (laughs) And when they said no, were you like, you should reconsider? And and when they said no, I said, "Uh, okay, yeah, I'd be interested. But not if you're firing Dylan. That seems mean. (laughs) That is mean. Why? Uh, why the Cubs? Why did they look and say, you know what? This know. is the missing. This is going to add five wins. This is the missing piece. 
Everything else we were feeling comfortable with. Uh, we'll make some changes in the offseason, but we have to have this guy. Why do you think that? We're not Cubs heads on this pod, right? They're a flyover state, so like whatever. <laughs> um, state. I will say they uh, close to drastically underperformed their Pythag, right? They were based on run differential and 90 win team. They won 83 wins or won 83 wins. They won 83 games. They watched an 84 win team that had probably similar to worse true talent reach the World Series. They could have thought to themselves, well, we have a lot of pieces in place. We're going to be getting back into the free agent, you know, market uh, in time. But we one area we could strengthen is the manager. They could have just put some of that at the manager's feet, frankly. It's hard to assess it in any other way than they looked at the difference between the run differential and the record and the way they finished and said, well, we can get better at manager because that's what they did. So, like, it's not, you know, I don't mean to slight David Ross. I, I Tell me what did David Ross do wrong? How the how the heck would I know, you know? But they clearly looked and said, Craig Council is a good manager. He's better than the manager we have, and that's a way we can upgrade. Well, look, I don't know if he did this wrong, but the Cubs leaked oil at the wrong time, okay? So that 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 hurts, all right? And, and we can talk about recency bias and all that stuff. It's real, all right? And so then, then you're looking at it from the Cubs front office perspective, and now there's a target of opportunity, okay? You get a guy that you think in your guys' decision-making process is an upgrade. We know that this is baseball managing. It's not really easy to say that one way or the other. But like, if that's the perception you have, and here's this target of opportunity, and you combine this with you've just watched your team leak oil at the wrong time, I think it's a perfect storm. I think what I'm more stunned by is like, you know, this isn't just some rando that they did this to. David Ross yeah. helped them win a World Series. <laughs> yeah. David Ross got me 20,000 retweets once. Okay? So like, I mean, it's in that World Series. Should have let him go so like, years ago just for that. Wow, no. that's mean. Yeah, that's mean. That dude, that was like my OG shit posting. It was great. That was when you were still good. Anyway, at it. anyway, that's a lot of that's a. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> anyway, but well, like, wait, wait, yeah, wait, wait. That's just some rando. This guy was, you know, a part of the franchise's history. That's a lot of retweets. Do you have as many followers as Andy? Wow, he has more. I don't know, but I think he has more. I, I don't think I have whatever. More, but like, who cares? How about yes, Randy? Yeah. Randy Rosarena. Do you have more followers than Randy Rosarena? Sure, he does. Everyone does. Mark's point is is well taken in that David Ross was part of the connective tissue dating back to 2016, which lets you know how much they value that. Teams vote with their feet, right? Like that's, you know what I mean? Like the same way like fans do with whether they want to come to games. You know, it's the old adage, right? And like their actions let you know how much they valued maintaining that link to, you know, that era. Cold-blooded, baby. It really is. I have a spreadsheet up because I was a voter for National League Manager of the Year. And so I actually went through and did research on this. I did uh, every manager's Pythagorean record, uh, their difference uh, in their final record versus the predicted record uh, before the season, uh, how many challenges they won or lost, their record in extra innings. And I can't reveal my vote because of, you know, the the reasons and the uh, but I will do afterwards. But I will say that Craig Council 
surprisingly didn't fare that well in, in Pythag. He, the, he lost a lot of his challenges. Mediocre when it came to extra innings. Uh, there were just like all these little things. He used a lot of guys on no days rest. Lots of stuff like that. So I went in going, oh, council, 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 council. I, you know, I maybe he's he's a very, very good clubhouse guy. But it's not showing up in my nerd stats is what I'm trying to say. Hey, what about the one run games? I'm curious. I'm just I'm like straight up who fared well, which teams and which wh- where you could say, hey, this is probably the manager influence fared well in those close games. If, did you factor that? Uh, son of a bitch, I should have. No, I had something called situational wins, which I'm sure made sense at the time. And Craig Council was number one uh, in situational wins. Uh, I don't remember what that means, but I'm sure it's very clever. You know, when you bring up one run wins, it does ring a bell in my head that reminds me that we have no idea what makes a good manager (laughs) and that every statistic can be wielded in a variety of ways. Like, like, okay, so I just looked this up. The Orioles last year went 30 and 16 in one run games. Now you could read that statistic and say, this is proof to me that Brandon Hyde is the manager of the year. And I could read that statistic and say, oh, Jesus, the Orioles are going to win 87 games next year. And we could both be right. We don't know what makes people good at this job. We think we have an idea and we use what happens to sort of shape our narrative. So like when Bruce Bochy wins the World Series, what we believe that you need is communication, calmness, steadiness, um, an interesting gait and, you know, experience. Except if when the Astros won the World Series, you need a dynamic, Stanford-educated, you know, uh, psychology major who, you know, is like, you know, or when Alex Cora wins the World Series, you need aggressive, you need someone who who feels the game, who, you know, grabs the game by the reins, like whatever, all that stuff. We don't know. All these different types of people can work at times and can't work at times. And we don't know how to value them. We really don't. And that's what is going to be interesting is which teams decide to jump out on a limb and throw big money at these people and which are like, no, we'll just get a guy who like can, you know, make the trains run on time and pay him a million a year. It's fascinating to me because I remember, to your point with one-run games, I remember covering, uh, not covering, but writing about the 2016 Rangers, right? And they're managed by former manager of the year, Jeff Bannister. And in 2016, uh, they were, let me look this up. 36 and 11 in one run games. Just, it, I think it was a record at the time, if not still a record, just phenomenal. And when I would write, hey, this is going to go away. You know, this is not sustainable. This is not magic from Jeff Bannister. Rangers fans would get mad. They would get really mad. Like, I'm watching these games. You don't see the little, you know, tweaks and things like that. And then you know, what happened? Of course, it didn't, it wasn't sustainable. Next year, they were 74 and well, 78 and 84. They were 13 and 24 in one run games. So is the magic gone or is it just totally, yeah, we have no idea what his role in any of that was. It was probably just random variants. Yeah. But did they not know that you were like the king of the Usenet groups? <laughs> <laughs> How dare they? Yeah, no, exactly. Argue with you. Are you kidding me, man? Cut my teeth on rec Jesus. sport baseball. Yeah, whatever that is. Uh, anyway, like, so, yeah, so th- it's, I, I agree. Like, there's always going to be that variance luck element to it. I, I, I kind of, like, wonder, you know, historically... Right. Like, I I wonder if you were to look historically at how some of these winning managers were described 
what, what, what kind of words would you see? And I would suspect that it's going to be the same kind of all over the board stuff as we see now, right? That there's going to be the Earl Weavers of the world, right? Like yelling, screaming, hollering, cussing, pissing people off. But for every one of those, you get a Chuck Tanner, okay? like the, who is like renowned for being calm, right? Like that, and, and that, I think it's really interesting to me that, you know, we'll never know that because what we're really talking about, you guys, is like something that, you know, is, is I think folks will study this forever and never come to, to, to these like conclusions because it's really difficult. Team building. Team building is like an incredibly difficult thing and there's no mastering it. There might be theories about like what works and what doesn't, but no one actually knows. And no one actually knows because what you're dealing with is something extremely complex other human beings like it's just it's too hard it's too difficult i think the perfect manager is someone who is generally calm chill uh, even keeled but when needed can stand over you at like six foot seven and be super angry and then you go whoa this guy is madder than he usually is like i got i gotta chill out and that's bruce bochi like that is the perfect template where you, you're just chill but when you need to be you look like you can like bite an umpire's head off it's either six foot seven or five foot four and you're a bantamweight poking the guy in the chest yeah. like whoa this little guy's crazy yes uh, yeah 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 you need five foot four who plays about seven foot right one. right right <laughs> yeah because you you get in a scrap with a five foot four guy who's acting like that you might lose an ear you know what i mean like you, that's that's the kind of crazy you're talking yeah about. The, the little that's guy the in vibe the fight is need. the craziest one i also uh speaking of variants uh if Sega suzuki catches that ball Oh. Right, councils like managing yeah. the Astros or something. Unbelievable! <laughs> right? Yeah, wow, that's a good point. And then you saw that uh, the Marlins hitting coach Brant Brown. Like, what? What? Come on, this is a simulation. Like that is that's too funny. That is uh, for for Cubs fans who don't remember or too young. Uh, there's no young people listening to this. What am I talking about? Brant Brown's the one that uh, muffed the fly ball in 1998 that almost cost the Cubs uh, their chance at the postseason. Ended up not, but anyways. What do you think the average age is for a round table head? Now that you bring 73. It, it might be light. No, it's not seven. Seriously, what, what do you think the demo is for this show. I would be more interested... Besides Durant. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'd be more interested in what what's the average condition in the DSM that they would have. <laughs> you you got to be you got to be a little out there to listen to this. That's true. If you guys have an EAP at your workplace, I would... Can, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, uh, we're hip. We're with it. Uh, 30? 30? I think we, we trend a little bit younger. Not like the Cespedes boys. I mean, you know, they're... I know, they still got zits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're hip. They probably have a TikTok. Do you think yeah. they have a TikTok? We don't have we a TikTok. TikTok and pimples. They have enthusiasm, which separates them from us. Um, <laughs> I was telling people on Halloween, my costume was a guy who wants to be here. No, I'm just kidding. I had a good time. I had a good time covering the postseason. <laughs> That's funny because you're pretending to. Be, that's Halloween. Isn't Thank it? you, Mark. That's yeah, really you're. Funny. That's how you got to middle management. That's, funny. That, that's right. That's yeah. right. Boy, what a huge day for middle managers everywhere, huh? Yeah, yeah. God, damn, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's it's. I did not expect you know Craig Council to to make Shohei Otani an afterthought at the outset of uh, free agency, yeah. but good for him. How about it? You know, getting one back. Let the old guys play or whatever. 
I'm just trying to figure out how many wins do the Cubs think they've added? Like, uh, just nuts and bolts. Like, I just, I'm just, I just curious. I have no idea. No idea. That's what, that is what makes this so interesting is like, I'm sure they have, I'm sure that like a lot of teams, they have valuations and algorithms and all that stuff that spit out what they think their manager's worth. But you know what that is? Made up nonsense. (laughs) It's complete junk science. There's just no way it's true. It's hokum. It's voodoo. Okay, okay. So I'm going to give you that point. All right. Let's say in your wildest dreams, right, in the most optimistic scenario, how many wins do you think he just added for his, per season? How many? Okay, like for real, knowing what we know, let's bake in that it is junk science and there's a, it's, it's BS. But like for real, like what do you think he, you know, if you had to guess – with straight win total, how many more do you add? Five? Like, what do you add? You have to factor in opportunity cost here, right? Because it's not just that you hired Craig Council. It's that you're leaving the 10 wins that Buck Showalter would add on the table. <laughs> so, like... I was wondering where the hell he was going that with was this. Good. But I was, dude, Grant, that was, that was good. good. That was good. I did, on, five wins? I mean, on, that that's... Five wins, yeah, right? Like, five that wins. That just sounds... Like, you can't just say, we got a new manager. That's an extra 10. And you're not going to... No, let's just say... You're not going right, to do like, D- David Ross dirty for an extra win. I, I think... I think trying to place a numerical value on it is a waste of time. I think what you are trying to offer is a stability that that allows for everything else to flourish. Because I think if you try and look at it, it's like, oh, he's going to definitively provide this much specific value that we can see in this. That just – it's fucking made up. But, like, you can say that, like, okay, he will properly optimize our relievers. And so we can get the most out of them. He will, you know, communicate with the players in a way. Like, I whatever. It's not like he's going to handle the media better, right? Like, Ross was perfectly fine at that. And, you know, Council is going to be dealing with more press now than he dealt with in his entire career. So, like, ah. So my point was not necessarily trying to put a numerical value on it. My point is like whatever that number is that you guys spit out, that's a lot of freaking trouble for that. <laughs> like it wasn't even just the money. It's just like well, look look at all the complications we have just listed about making this happen. That's hella trouble for this. Like I think that is to me one of the more telling things. Like the Cubs must have thought they were in peril. Maybe like it, to go through all this trouble, like like as I just said earlier, yeah, like maybe the the biggest crime for David Ross is that he wasn't Craig Council. Okay, that's that's fair, but there's a lot of trouble they went through to make this happen. Like all like you know, Sahadev Sharma, really nice job last night, by the way, walking through all of this, all the cloak and dagger and secret negotiations, all this you know freaking you know get smart stuff, and it's just like for a manager. Like, like what? <laughs> to push a guy overboard? Like, is, that's a lot of trouble. My favorite part of Sahadev's story, which everyone should read, is he describes uh, Jed Hoyer catching a flight to Tallahassee to talking to, uh, to tell David Ross the news. And they had an at times tense conversation. <laughs> oh, you don't say, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jed, what are you doing down here? Well, David. <laughs> Remember yeah. that guy, Craig? Oh, my gosh. There's, but again, cold-blooded business. Right? Like cold, cold blooded business. Like you take the managerial job knowing you're going to get fired. You just expect to get, you know, kind of hit in the front. That's the name of the game. And, and I, I, I will be interested to see if this is a one off or if it is a trend because I can think of several other managers who are <clears throat> like counsel considered sort of dynamic sort of 
presences, both in the way they interact with the press, in the way that they manage games, and that the way that you can effectively position them as a face of a franchise and kind of never have to worry about, you know, how they'll conduct themselves. And I could see, I wonder if those guys decide to look at this and be like, all right, like, let's look at the chessboard. Like, let's see, you know, what's available. Maybe I want to work for this, you know, team that already has someone there. Like if that becomes the norm, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't think we will know really until next winter, but it's something worth tracking as the year goes along. This speaks to my point, Andy. This shouldn't be a decision. Like, if there weren't this paternalistic attitude in the sport, like, this not even a decision. Like, obviously, you you operate in your best self-interest. Like, what, what, what Grant said earlier. I think that's what's interesting to me, is if there's this boogeyman that still exists, like, what, what is the argument here? Like, you ply your trade, you're good at it. There are people that might line up to pay you to, because you're good at it. What's the debate? The only debate is that custom gets in the way. That's the debate. And I think that's insane to me. All right. Because like, if we look at it from straight self-interest, there's no debate here, man. Someone wants to pay you to do a job. Go take the job. Right. And because it's baseball in particular, it's a debate. What a fascinating, powerful force that is that must be on the other side of it. That turns something that should be straightforward based on straight up self-interest and turns it into an actual debate. That's fascinating. I have a two part question for you, Mark. Does The Athletic have a, a single number to evaluate uh, riders like wins added? Like, do we have a war? <laughs> and if so, have you seen it? Uh, what am I at? Am I, am I doing okay? I mean, you're not in the quadrant I'd want to be in. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, it's review time. We'll talk through it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's none of that. Like, we do what every other manager does. We put you guys' names in a hat and pull them out and see who's doing well. Like, oh, hey, Grant's going to get a good review. We did used to have those, uh, on each individual story, you used to have those DRS numbers that would, like, uh, that manage reader satisfaction, which I know about because I was told that the list that Rustin Dodd and I did of the best baseball songs of all time was considered the least liked story in the history of the vertical. Amazing. So we're, we're Dude, that's such a, like, you guys should have, like, a, a trophy for like most that's of them, most, That's a plaque. Most of the stories were, like, somewhere from, like, 50 to, like, you know, 100 was the top. So, like, whatever, 93. You know, people really liked it. And ours was, like, negative 75. They were, like, <laughs> it broke the scale for reader it disgust. Did. It, it did. It was, like, the, the most did. hated story we've ever published. <laughs> and, what, and what was the beef that you forgot center we, fielder that you hated? No, we just left it off. That song sucks. We no. The thing is, we left oh, it off, we and we didn't even mention it. Oh, like boy. we didn't, oh, we didn't so even good. say. So, so thousands, thousands of readers were clicking the link and immediately scrolling to the bottom. <laughs> expecting to see so we had a very high click-through rate and read rate they were going all the way to the bottom you know what you do with a list right you go to the bottom then you read up and so they were reading one and they're like oh it's not that and they kept going up and then they were realizing that center field wasn't on the list and they were just getting so angry and then they were control effing or command effing center field and there was nothing in there about center field we didn't even mention it and it drove people bonkers so i guess we're gonna find out what the demo for our listeners are because if it's kind of the first number that grant proposed which is about 118 then we're gonna get flooded 
with more hate about you bringing this up. Now, if it's the younger age, you're going to think this is hilarious. I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. I wish we could re-rank it again just to leave the song off again. Uh yeah, no, I, oh, that's a good, Brian says that the Eagles 49ers bet, uh, might also have to include the, the loser singing center field, uh, on, on yeah, we don't podcast. need more singing on this. Um, no. I will say, did you include, uh, what's the Nana from action Bronson on the best baseball songs? I don't want to talk about this. I don't, I don't remember the songs we included or didn't include. Our methodology was idiotic. It was 2020. There were no sports. We still had to work. We were actively making shit up like three times a week. Okay. And the people who were getting mad at us, I just, I understand it was a hard time for everyone. Okay. You were not in the content creation business. Okay. I went on, I think this was my last appearance on Effectively Wild, actually, before I got banned for shuffling chips. Uh, they, like, grilled me on it. They're like, why? Ben Lindbergh was like, why didn't you include this? Why didn't you include that? I'm like, how do you know all these stupid songs about baseball? Like, I just had to come up with something to write for Tuesday. <laughs> I, uh, I did some of my best work during that early part of the pandemic. I kind of kept this company afloat. Put that in your fancy number, Mark. I was going to say that reflected in your war chart. Yeah, yeah. All right, this has been episode number 73 of The Roundtable. We will be back next week. We, we, uh, we're we going to shift at some point to an every other week schedule, um, but that's not going to start next week. Next week, we're back, baby. We're back. We're going to talk, uh, I guess, awards? What, what, what drops on Monday the 13th? Does anything drop? Over manager of the year, isn't it? Maybe Otani will have signed. <laughs> Oh, man. Is he going to go to January or like uh, Bryce Harper that one year? I think so, right? That wasn't Harper's fault. That was that was a well, we can get into it some other time, but that was a very different time period. I, I suspect he'll be signed by December. All right. This has been episode number 73 of the Roundtable. We'll be back next week. Talk about baseball because that's what we do. Thanks for listening. I was very wrong.